Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Welcome. Today we're meeting and talking with Brian Price. Brian is a mechanical engineer with significant experience and expertise in energy efficient buildings. For the past 20 years, Brian's been working with AG Coombs, Australia's leading specialized provider of building services, encompassing an integrated range of technical services for all whole of life systems within buildings. Brian's current role is strategic development director with responsibility for a diverse range of energy and environmental projects. He's a longtime member and contributor to a number of industry associations with a strong track record of constructive and successful industry and policy advocacy. Thanks very much to you, Brian, for joining us. Could you tell us, please, why you chose engineering, specifically mechanical engineering? Thanks, David. Look, thanks for the intro. Very kind and very happy happy to be here today. Engineering. I, I grew up in, in country Victoria, fixing, building things, cars, trucks, motorbikes. You know, farmers are, are very self-reliant. I suppose I, I had that sort of role, role model growing up. You, you see no boundaries. Um, you get on and, and do things. I was always really driven to understand how things work right from an, an early age. Went to a technical school, if anybody remembers tech schools, and mm-hmm. was always going to be a, a motor mechanic or a, or a carpenter or a fitter and turner. It turned out I was I was quite good at schoolwork, loved physics and maths, those sorts of things, and I was in the first cohort from that particular technical school to go to university in Melbourne. And, and engineering was a, a pretty obvious choice. It was a good practical physics education, and it just seemed to have such a broad range of opportunities in terms of, of, of employment. And uh, you know, I, I went to Melbourne to become a, a you know a good practical engineer. Um, really, the you know the the, the farmers the farmers sort of. Uh, on with an education, if you like. So, so looking back, I suppose I was always going to be an engineer. It's very much in, in my DNA. Very good, very good. So you followed your passion? Yeah, just uh, again, some might have said I was too lazy to go out and get a job, but uh, yeah, I, I did. I, follow, I followed my passion and it, it's certainly been a lifelong passion and, uh, and something I'm, I'm very grateful, grateful to have behind me, that, that engineering education. What was the biggest turning point, Brian, or, or break which it perhaps accelerated your career? Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting, interesting question. When you when you look back and, and look at those forks in the road, I had a really eclectic early career. I got involved in employment in engineering as an undergraduate, and I suppose if, if I look at the time during my degree and perhaps in the first three or four years after my degree. I was involved in businesses that uh, were about engineered products, container manufacturing, food manufacturing, building structural design, semi-trailer design. Then I started working for the Department of Defence, firstly in and around explosives manufacturing, and I ended up in um, in a group that was engaged in glider weapons design around control systems. And so I had a pretty eclectic sort of first, say, seven years. And you can see why I ended up being attracted to consulting. And probably my first break really was to get into consulting as a 25-year-old. As a and it was very challenging to get into consulting back then as a 25-year-old. They, they either took the brightest and best grads from, from a university, and I'd sort of bypassed, bypassed that. 
or, or you had to have 10 years experience. So I was very fortunate to get into consulting as such. And I was all, I've always be grateful for the organisation that, that gave me that, that, that kick along and, and got involved in some, some great projects early days across all different dis- disciplines. And so it wasn't sort of a narrow mechanical practice. It was a whole range of different disciplines, which again was a great, great grounding for going forward. The second real kick along my career got was in the very early 90s. And I joined a, a large regional consulting firm and uh, was offered the opportunity to start a, a business division from the ground up around energy management. And that was quite a, a new field back in the early 90s. And we broadened that out to uh, to cover assets and it grew very quickly. And, and we grew that out to be the largest energy management consultancy in Australia at the time. And, uh, you know, we had the Commonwealth government clients, state government client, uh, all the big banks, a lot of the big retailers. And we did some really interesting things, won lots of awards. And uh, mm-hmm. it was also at a time when the electricity market was opening up to competition. And so we got involved in, in that whole business of uh, energy contracting and uh, and even then outsourcing of building services from government. So when they outsourced councils and government departments, so we got involved in management consultants. So it was a very exciting time. It was just a great opportunity to get in on something from the from the ground up and, and be offered the latitude to actually grow the grow the business and uh, and learn a whole bunch of skills that that I wouldn't have as a design engineer. So that probably the two turning points. Very good. Very interesting. Have you had many mentors along the way uh, during this process of consulting, as you're explaining? And, and um, if you have had mentors or people that you've relied on for, for, for advice or for coaching, how did they help you? How did you, how did you interact with them and what learnings and what did you take from them? Yeah, it's always an interesting question. Again, when you, you look back and look at the people that influenced you, and I suppose I always put them into two categories. There, there's role models and there's good and bad in that. And then, of course, there's mentors. And these are people who take an interest and, and stay involved and, and, and coach and, and support. And I suppose there's probably been three or four along the way. The first role model that that I can think of is, is somebody that, that taught me to be, I suppose, Client focused uh, and and to bring a lateral approach to capability as an engineer. Quite often, in engineering, you get siloed, and mm-hmm. when challenges come up with clients, it's well, no, no, we don't we don't do that. As opposed to, well, perhaps we could, or perhaps we've got a, a useful toolkit to bring to that, or a useful perspective, or I can be helpful in all this because we're better equipped than what you are to do that, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client. And so that that lateral approach to building a business or, or being useful, that, that was a great thing I got from that particular individual. It, it's interesting when you look at some of the engineers that we all look up to, you know, John Monash, for instance, see problems as opportunities to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, that concept of creative tenacity, there's always another move. And I think that's one of the great things that engineering does bring to you. It brings you a, a, a structured approach to problem solving and realizing opportunities. The other mentor, another mentor I can think of is somebody that was exceptionally challenging, CEO of a consultancy um, that uh, that I was with in the 90s, brought a, a real sense of business acumen, a sense of urgency. Um, if something needs doing, get it done. Again, that lateral thinking approach, but very much tempered by some real loyalty to staff and recognition that that was where the real value in an organisation lay, lay in its people so much in, in the technology, but in its people. And at the same time, another one of the directors uh, with the organisation was very much about getting out into the world, get out into the world, contribute, be part of industry, give back. 
and industry will give back to you, but play a part and, and really, you know, get out and if you can lead, lead. And I, I certainly took that advice to heart. Yeah, giving back, what a great phrase. What a great phrase. What a great learning. Sometimes you've got to give, don't you, before you receive. You know, it's a two, it's a two-way thing. Um, yes. The world very much is run by those that turn up. And so if you get out and you turn up, not only are you you contributing to the industry that, that supports you know, your business, but on the other hand, you've got a, a role to play in constructively um, helping that industry grow and develop. And, you know, you're at the at the forefront of whatever might be changing as well. So there's, you know, it very much is a, a symbiotic thing, mm-hmm. um, getting out and getting involved in industry. Along the way, Brian, was postgrad important to you? Was that something that attracted you to, to further enhance your career, to develop your your expertise and your strengths? Was that something that was relevant and, and, and important and, and something that you would recommend to others? It's a, it's a really interesting question. In my, in my career in, in the 80s and 90s, I progressed fairly quickly. I was, I was usually um, fairly young um, for, the, for the roles I held and, and seemed to progress ahead of the opportunity to do postgraduate you know, form, formal studies at such. It was quite a bizarre thing. I often found myself in roles where uh, I was responsible for perhaps older staff that, that, were, that, that I was offering the opportunity up to go and do a, an MBA or, or a master's. And uh, you know, whilst I drove the business and drove the growth in the business, so in a way, during that sort of formative period of 20s and 30s, there really wasn't the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Certainly, a lot of the people that I worked with went and uh, and, and did MBAs, being the most, most common. Um, interestingly, now, the grads we're employing have a, a double degree, most often, um, an engineering degree and a, and a business uh, degree as well. And so, post-grad you know, offers up a set of useful skills. It's certainly... Um, somewhat formalized quite often and depending on what you do with it can be an incredibly useful skill in terms of driving career and driving opportunity for yourself and for the business but on the other hand if not used well perhaps isn't quite as isn't quite the key to the uh to the ladder to the top as as you might think i suppose i tend to think of it more around the need for continuous study every day is an opportunity to learn something new whether it's formal or, or not formal that's a, a really valuable input into into driving career progress. External postgrad is certainly a ticket in some organisations to progression. In other organisations, it's very much around what you do with that and and how you drive the, the business and and how you're seen in doing all of that. As part of that continual improvement process, then I suppose have you been involved in in, in much personal development yourself? To perhaps to stay abreast of industry changes or engineering requirements in the in the, in the modern world, have you had yourself done much personal development along the way? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting as a as a sort of a, a mid level engineer, you're always looking to courses and, and those sorts of things to go out and and um, obviously knowledge, skills, capability, and what have you. As you become more senior, you you find yourself quite often at the front of the room in those sorts of things actually sharing insights and training or what have you. The great majority of, of my professional development probably for the last 30 years has come through industry involvement, sitting on boards, sitting on, on panels, sitting on committees, usually with, with other like-minded people and usually with, with industry leaders and, and you know some incredible people I sat on committees with in, in, the, in the 90s and learned a great deal from those, those people. And then as you, as you, uh, as you get 
more senior opportunities to sit on industry boards and more um, more sort of uh, you know representative committees as such. You're working with best of industry people, learning a great deal, contributing back, working with government at senior levels as well. Again, working with with leading people and and, and discussing the the issues of the day and, and working out not only where your business can go but where the industry can go. It's it's a great uh, education along the way you know, every day that you're doing that. And obviously, as you as you get older and, and more senior, it's uh, again more about contributing and, and actually taking others along for the journey. Could you give us an example? It sounds very interesting. Some of these really impressive, sharp people that you that you met on these committees. Would you be able to give us an example of or illustrate that point? Well, I'll give you, I suppose, a, a pair of bookends. And and so if if you go back into the nineties, energy management in Australia, uh, really we didn't have the neighbours, we didn't have standards and, and rating systems, and the the property council, property council's energy guidelines was pretty much the the bible. That's what people rated energy efficiency in Australia's commercial buildings by and, and, and I was fortunate enough to sit on the, the committee that, uh, that looked at two, uh, two upgrades for that over, over probably uh, six or seven years and at the time I, I was starting a, an energy efficiency related business as part of that consultancy and the other people on that committee were the leading, leading practitioners in that field in the country and also some of the biggest property owners in the country and so a great opportunity to actually rub, rub up against you know, people who have clearly been there and done that. But on the other hand, the, the organisations that were looking for these sorts of insights as well. So a great educative example there, but also, you know, a, an ability to bring in perhaps some, some lateral thinking because because I, I didn't have the background. So again, forming friendships and relationships and, and yes. getting some respect for that as well. So that, that was a, a great start, if you like, to getting involved in that industry in a, in a field that I was very much um, focusing on from a business development perspective. Cast forward to even even just four or five weeks ago, and uh, with regard to the you know the current COVID nineteen situation and the the real focus there is now on indoor environments. And through some work I've done recently, uh, doing virtual lunchtime webinars with organisations like the Facilities Management Association, came to the attention of a, of a global group that's got a, a task force being formed up with some absolutely um, stellar people around looking at indoor environments and how they need to change going forward post-COVID-19 in terms of health and well-being, viral transmission, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and where that's all heading. And so asked to come on board with that group as a co-chair and again really looking forward to um, sharing expertise and knowledge but also learning from these people that are clear leaders right across the world in this particular field which is just so super important when you consider how much of the world now is heavily urbanized and spends the majority of its time indoors. So two bookings there in terms of those sorts of uh, industry forums or industry committees where is that two-way opportunity to contribute and provide some direction and leadership, but on the other hand, opportunity to learn and develop as well, uh, both you know technically, but also quite often these things, it's about relationships and, and how you get along as a group and how you work as a team. And so just a whole raft of skills comes out of that. Very good. So it sounds like being connected has really, has really been important for you and it's been very helpful for you during that process. In today's world, which is, of course, so, so much online, how much networking do you currently do in this environment where we're all reliant on online methodologies? You mean in, in the current environment where our days are made up of dozens and dozens yeah. <laughs> of back-to-back, back-to-back meetings that start and finish on time? There's no gap in, in between and, uh, and, and we're all so much more productive. Look, no, 
there's, there's the answer to the question, I suppose. Industry associations, of course, there's, a, there's now a lot of, of government industry interaction in terms of forums and where this all goes as well. They've all pivoted very, very quickly to a, a virtual online environment and we've all become very confident and capable with that. We have the, the fortunate position certainly here in Australia to have a very robust communications network course just some great platforms that we're all just learning to to use before all this and we've all gone up to very speed uh, great speed so a whole bunch of networking is happening and and just as importantly it's actually easy to organize yes. people seem to be able to to fit these things into their diaries better than they had and i don't think it's because they've got nothing to do even our clients are now easier to access and people have got a I think a greater propensity to want to reach out and connect as well. So there's a, a lot of networking happening involved in a, you know, a number of overseas networks as well on the phone to, to New York the other day. We've got a, a catch up tomorrow with, uh, with the US and, and the UK. People are looking to share experiences you know, around the world and even across Australia. People are at different points on this COVID-19 journey. And so there's, there's learnings on the phone yesterday to a bunch of people over in, in New Zealand and they've got a similar but, but different experience. So everybody's looking to share experiences. And there is a real tremendous sense of community no matter where you're operating, yes. whether it is industry associations or in business or with, with clients. I just hope some of that, that real spirit of cooperation and um, you know, the human aspect of that actually continues on, on um, after this. I guess that's an upside to the current situation with COVID-19 then from what you say you've, you've been able to, to, to network even more uh, using technology and uh, people do want to share like you said share ideas and um, it sounds like you've been very effective then in, 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 in doing that and networking with people all, all around the world. Well ultimately it is it is very much around people and relationships yeah so it's yes. uh, it, it might be engineering, but you know, there's a whole whole raft of things there. And the, and the great the great thing that's happening in the current circumstance is that a lot of the things that are happening uh, that happen, you know, back of house in buildings are getting some more focus. And and we've been able to sort of, I suppose, come to the fore a little bit more and reach out. And one of the the great, I suppose, passions I have around engineering is the, is just the ability to communicate technical things to non-technical people effectively. You know, the bizarre thing is we all live in a, a teched up world, but, you know, the average non-technical person probably hasn't got a great deal of appreciation of some of these things that, that they're responsible for. And that, that needs to be changed. And I think a lot of the responsibility does come back to engineers to be good communicators and be able to explain, again, technical things to, to non-technical people. Was that a skill, Brian, that was part of your DNA? Did you have that, that attribute to begin with? Or was that something that you've developed and um, improved over the years? Yeah, I think it's something that probably I developed in, in my 30s in, in building that, uh, that consultancy business. And uh, I, I suppose a combination of needing to drive the, the business development and a, a lot of proactive proposals and bids and a new area where you need to communicate technical issues to non-technical people, but also, I suppose, the, the drive to get out into industry, speak at conferences, be able to stand up in front of people and you know, go on the whole, the whole public speaking journey. It certainly wasn't something I was overly, uh, overly good at at university or, nor in, in the early part of my career. I was pretty much the, you know, the, the archetypical engineer, not very good at, at that sort of public speaking or communicating or, or stringing words together that weren't a specification, but 
it's certainly something that I've focused on and something that I, I really believe is, is super important for engineers. In today's world, there's so many different areas of engineering. Back in the day, there was two or three choices, two or three areas. Now, it must be quite difficult for young people to choose which stream of engineering. What do you think, Brian, which would provide the best career opportunities for up-and-coming engineers in the future? That's a really interesting question. Um, certainly, when I did my undergraduate degree, uh, electronic engineering was something relatively new, but you, you had those standard mechanical, electrical, civil, chemical, and now, of course, there's a whole bunch of others that have been tried. Some have come and some have gone. All the traditional streams offer great opportunities, and, of course, people are, are morphing and they're merging, and as I mentioned before, you know, typically we're employing grades these days with engineering degrees and some sort of commerce or economics, some sort of business degree as well. Of course, you've got a range of different models that are in the higher education marketplace now that are trying to, is trying to deal with, you know, the challenge of providing undergraduate engineering education. What I've always thought, no matter what the streams might be called, people who prosper tend to follow their, their passion in a particular field. They have an affinity for that field and that, that helps. I certainly went to university with people who really had no mechanical acumen, didn't really, couldn't come anywhere near thinking in, in 3D or spatially, but for whatever reason, they did mechanical engineering. The people who prospered in that field quite often had some mechanical acumen. They had some you know innate skills around design and, and what have yes. you, and, and you put that together. So I think the simple message is that in choosing an engineering education, you, you try and follow where you've got some interests. It's interesting, a friend of, of ours, son, is following his passion at the moment and he's doing a double degree with mechanical engineering and history. And uh, history, I suppose yeah. asked me for advice for what it was worth. And I said, look, he needs to follow his passion. The education is, is a toolkit. If he's passionate about both those areas, I'm sure one will add to the other and there'll be opportunities for a, for a bright young person who's, who's well-educated and, and has got some a real passion about, about following these things. So, you know, I think it, 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 it's very much, yeah, follow your, follow your passion, you'll do better. Thank you. That's great. Look, one more last question for you, Brian. Thanks so much for, for talking with us today. It's been a very interesting conversation. If we had to sort of summarize from your experience and your journey, what would be the key messages that, that you'd be able to impart for up-and-coming engineers? Yeah, it's been interesting when you when you do start to, to reflect a little bit as to how you got to where you were and what was important along the way and, uh, and even the question you asked before about where it perhaps went a little bit wrong. And again, when you when you put that together with with mentors and role models and the sorts of things you pick up from people along the way, because you do gather these things along the way. Look, usefulness is again. I, I suppose I'm coming at this from the perspective of a of an employer or as a, as a manager or, or somebody. Um, you know, again, this is couched in terms of, of perhaps the sorts of things you should look to to progress your career, and and it's coming from that that perspective. But you know, be useful to others. That's that's just a, a really fundamental thing. It sounds really simple, really straightforward, but it's amazing the number of people who don't see themselves in that context, that they are employed to be useful. Useful people become go-to people. Go-to people get noticed. Uh, somebody For somebody that, that something is never a problem for and they're seeking to actually be a useful person, they become a go-to person. In that 
detail is important. One of the things that really sets you back is if you're not across the detail, if you don't think the detail is important. In an organisation, people look to you to actually produce an outcome that is, is, has the detail addressed and there's no gaps. And so that's, that's really, really important. Somebody said to me many, many years ago, by way of advice, stay off the critical path and don't be a cost centre. Now, in engineering, it's not always possible mm. to stay off the critical path. In fact, that's where some of the, the best work is done. Um, and it's not always possible not to be a cost centre. But it's good to think like that. So that, that's good advice. Be thoughtful. Have a reason for what you do. Again, some advice that was offered up, I think, whilst I was still at university by one of the lecturers who are in charge of a, a projects process. Have a reason for everything you do. If you can powder coat it green or powder coat it blue, have a reason for why you chose green. It probably doesn't matter, but at least you've thought about it. And if you've thought about it, you're likely to not make silly mistakes, if you like. Be ambitious. It surprises me how many people don't mm. seem to be ambitious. Mm. And it's not, it's not about avarice or it's not, it's, it's not about trying to make a, a big person yourself, but be ambitious. You know, mm. work out what's required and then work out how to get there. Don't be restrained by limitations. One of the key things I've certainly learned along the way is when you think the limits are, you know, out there, they're actually a lot further away and you don't know until you give it a go. And so push, be ambitious. Was it Robert Kennedy, I think, speaking at his brother's funeral, talked about JFK dreaming of things that never were and then ask why not? Why not? You know, yeah. Again, don't be Smart. limited by by perceptions. Why not? And that's one of the great things mm. about engineering. Mm. If you do it well, it is about the why not. I talked before about communication. The world is full of unrequited good ideas, poorly communicated. If you cannot communicate, if you cannot string words together, if you cannot persuade, explain, motivate, inspire, you are indeed limited as to what you can do as an engineer. And so if you can communicate well, if you can motivate, explain, inspire, practice, get out there, communicate, stand in front of people, write, write articles, communicate. And I think by and large, we're producing engineers now that, that can communicate a whole lot better. That was just starting to be realised when I was at university. When you come to being in a business, again, surprising how few engineers who might be ambitious and maybe even frustrated that they aren't progressing they need to see, you need to see a business, you need to see the business as much as the work you do. And in that, recognize in the business what the work you do contributes. You need to look outwards and see the context in which the business exists. You know, what does the business that you're working for do? And what's your part in all of that? And so it's that, it's that broadening of that, that r rising up of your understanding of, of the world. Seeing how the business you work in fits in the world. Mm is really important to understand the direction the business is going and therefore your ability to align with where that business is going and, and being useful in the business. Seek to understand how the decisions are made. Some basic, almost tribal stuff. Understand where the power base is, who's important, who's not. Align your thinking to the business's thinking. Perform and that will get you noticed. There's some pretty basic stuff in that, but again, surprising you've almost got to take a step to the right to or to the left to actually think like that and it comes to some people at different times and surprisingly it often doesn't come to some people but if you're interested in career progression it's pretty a fundamental thing i suppose the last thing i'd say is it's, it's, it's all about people great things are achieved by teams and the leaders of teams by individuals not so much and so 
how you see people, mm. how you understand people, what motivates them, what motivates you. And the whole relationship piece is so key to success in career and in life generally. What a terrific way to end this conversation, Brian. Thank you so much. There's some really strong takeaways there from, from your journey and some great learnings and some great advice. So, Brian, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Strategic Development Director at AG Coombs, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for the interesting conversation. No worries, David. Thank you for the opportunity, and I hope it's been uh, useful. Thank you. Cheers, Brian. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.